0: And now here's your host, Grand Canyon whitewater guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. You're on the trail less traveled, and today the trail leads to the little birthing channel just upstream of Pumpkin Springs on the Grand Canyon at mile 213. This is Mandela coming in live from the canyon. I'm on my third expedition down here in the Grand Canyon this summer. We are on day 12. We're taking out the day after tomorrow, and it's been a really good trip down here. Quite a warm day, and the rocks we're sitting on are still piping hot from the sun. And what's really cool is uh, right above Pumpkin Springs Camp, you walk up and there's a little hole in the rock. You can lower yourself down through, they call that the birthing tube, and then you come out to a nice patio. So right now we're looking at a swollen Colorado River that's running brown. When I say we, I'm talking about Christian Wright. And Christian Wright has been rowing a 22-foot boat called the Chub. That boat weighs well over 3,000 pounds. He is originally from Atlanta, Georgia. He has been calling Moab, Utah home for the past 10 years. He is a national park ranger for Arches National Park, as well as a writer. And his book, For This Union to Survive, Miners for Democracy in Utah and the West, is coming out this year. Thank you so much, Christian, for hiking up with me here and joining me on this warm rock. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me
1: and for expressing an interest.
0: I'm really curious how your day went. Tell us what's today all about and why are
1: we all so warm and
0: what's it like out here?
1: Oh, today's a great day. So when you get down to Western Grand Canyon doing about a 13, 14-day trip, you get to a spot where it's usually hot and it's usually sunny and you just went through Lava Falls, which is a great big rapid everyone talked about. And then, you know there's a rapid or two but it's a lot of flat water it moves but it's a neat spot because you just kind of accomplish this major moment in your journey and sometimes it's like oh is the sun gonna cook me alive what's gonna happen but uh with the sarongs and the uh, umbrellas it was great and i really felt good at the end of the day today like being hot and just kind of owning it being like yeah this is what i'm doing i rode a big boat in a hot canyon and it was pretty it was pretty good i was pretty at peace with it
0: This is not your first time down here, Christian. You've come down a couple of times and rode that boat or other boats?
1: Other boats, this is my fourth time here. There's a lot of canyons the Colorado River runs through and you should explore them all. There's more than just the Grand Canyon, but the Grand Canyon is a magical place. It's one of the longest commercially guided trips in the United States, which is kind of special. It's obviously beautiful, full of great white water. And it's my fourth time here. My third time rowing with Outdoors Unlimited, a commercial company for whom I am a baggage boatman. And my first trip was a solo trip in a, a very small boat, and I did kind of on a whim without having been here before, and that really connected me to the place, you know, and made it kind of be where I wanted to do that part of my professional life.
0: So your first time down here was in a solo boat. It a solo mission?
1: Yeah, it was a solo ducky trip. It was April 20th launch date in 2012. You know, I started to get interested in the Grand Canyon, talked to older friends who had guided a lot, and I was like, hey, you think a ducky could go down there? And they were like, oh yeah, sure. So it's like a 12-foot boat, you know, and I loaded it with gear and food for 18 days. And I only flipped six times, but it was a great trip because I didn't have anyone, like, telling me what was going on. So, like, I scouted 70 rapids, you know, and figured it out for myself. And at night sometimes it was a little spooky, and people who've been here a lot belittle that. They're like, oh, the danger theme in the river is overplayed, and, and it probably is in literature. But it was like a serious trip, but it was a beautiful trip and I met amazing people and I got to journal a lot and just listen to like birds and quiet for over two weeks, you know, and it was pretty cool to have an opportunity to do that. Wonderful.
0: If you just tuned in, we are sitting just upstream of Pumpkin Springs on the Grand Canyon. 213 miles downstream of Lee's Ferry and we are speaking with Christian Wright who is a park ranger for Arches National Park and a writer whose book is coming out this year. We're going to talk to him more about his book but Christian now my question for you is where did you grow up and how was adventure a part of your childhood?
1: I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia and it's a lot different than Grand Canyon. It's covered in plants. It rains a lot. There's a lot of traffic and people but my dad was an outdoorsy guy. So he got me in the outdoors and apparently I recently met like his best childhood friend in Hawaii. I was over there and I met this guy who's like a retired teacher in Canada. And apparently he says when he met my dad, he was like this nerdy kid who is like in dressed in an English schoolboy outfit who just moved to Canada from England, where his dad was a professor and who was like reading the Knights of King Arthur and he'd like never done anything outdoorsy. Apparently, you know, this guy got my dad into the outdoors and that became a major part of his life and then he got me into the outdoors. So for us, that meant all over North Georgia, there's a lot of rivers and we went canoeing a lot. There's like a run you do on the Chattahoochee River in Atlanta and then there's some more scenic runs like the Carter Cay River in North Georgia, the Toccoa River. And like every other weekend we were up there pretty much. And he was more into like day trips and multi-day trips. There's less of a culture of doing multi-day trips in the Eastern United States. So there is potential to do it. But I just like kind of learned water and I learned the outdoors. Even though like my dad and I kind of disagree on some things, like some political things and worldviews were different. I really like his style of outdoor recreation. Because for him, he's like, he kind of wants to be by himself He wants to have like some oranges and a loaf of bread and a book and go down the river and hang out by the rapid and just sit and relax or go on a hike somewhere and find a beautiful spot and read a book. So the culture of like adrenaline and promotions and filming things and put it on YouTube was like never a part of my childhood. And I still sort of approach it at arm's length a bit with caution. And for me, the outdoors was just about learning and discovering. And kind of having a sense of wonder and just being immersed in an environment that was bigger than yourself. So when I got to commercial river guiding later, in my 20s, like, I learned words like holes and laterals and throw bags and things. I had never heard those before, but like, I knew what they were. Guiding rivers kind of became a way to take those skills and make a wee bit of uh, survival out of it.
0: If you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Trail Less Traveled, recorded on location just upstream of Pumpkin Springs on the Grand Canyon, and we are speaking with Christian Wright, who is a park ranger at Arches National Park, as well as a rider. Christian, I'd like to ask you about a moment in your early childhood where you had an experience and you learned a lesson from that experience that you can share with the listeners. Wow, that's
1: such a great question. Yeah, there's a lot of moments, I think, in my childhood that were pretty formative, I think my favorite experiences as a kid that maybe I learned a lesson from was to get back to exploring. We were fortunate enough to have like some woods behind our house in suburban Atlanta and there was like a stream that ran through it and it wasn't very far but like one of my favorite things to do as a kid was to walk down this hill and walk through the ivy and walk through the forests and the empty vacant lot of a house that was gonna be built for several years it was overgrown with big milkweeds and tall plants and to just sort of walk up a stream and see where it went and i think maybe my dad might have shown it to me first there's like a cul-de-sac down there where like you could go sometimes to play softball but the idea of walking up a stream and seeing where it went and seeing the water flow over the rocks and seeing what washed down the stream and looking under rocks to see what lived there. I actually took my mom on a guided hike of it when I was like eight. And it was kind of funny cause you know, kids go play in streams, but like adults don't usually wander around streams They're like kind of sorted in people's backyards. But I was like, mom, you gotta check this out, man. This stream is so cool. And I was like thoughtful enough to bring like some walnuts and pineapple along. I guess I kind of learned there is a sense of joy you get when you find something really special and then you're able to share it with someone. And experience isn't all about you, it's not all about what you get. Maybe if someone isn't quite as into it as you or wouldn't normally do that thing themselves as much, you kind of share with them like, hey, there's this other world out here and there's some other places to see. There's some other parts of our lives that are important that we don't normally experience. And You know, I don't know how much it stuck in my brain, but I guess I, you know, I'm talking about it now, so maybe it was important. That kind of taught me, like, guiding is a thing, I guess. You know, at a very early age, I kind of had a sense of that.
0: If you're listening, you can probably
1: hear the wind blowing on the microphone.
0: We are sitting just upstream of Pumpkin Springs, 213 river miles downstream of Lee's Ferry on the Colorado River, which slices through the Grand Canyon. Speaking with Christian Wright, it's time to play a song, Christian. So can you please share a song with us that reminds you of your early childhood adventures?
1: So it's hard to pick one song, but I know the music. And the music is Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusions 1 and 2. And that band existed a moment when I came of age like, to start understanding music, like the early 90s. My dad, who's this like, corporate lawyer from Georgia, was cool enough that like every weekend... When we drove to North Georgia to go explore the mountains and go down rivers, he allowed us to play music that for whatever reasons had wandered into our young lives. And that was the music I was raised on. Even though, I mean, there's kind of edgy words in it, there's adult themes, there's pretty politically incorrect songs, you know, song titles in there. But despite his many character flaws and contradictions, like there was sort of a sense of freedom that I connected with in Axl Rose. This kid from Indiana who wanders off to LA to go be this famous rock star. And maybe it was like the values of freedom or expression that I really connected with in both those albums. The Trail Less Travelled podcast is sponsored by Karuna Clothing, sewn with love and
0: laughter. Karuna Clothing is handcrafted from natural fabrics which soften as they age. They design clothing lines to fit the moods of places which have inspired them, designed simply and using the best fabrics. Karuna Clothing creates their own unique colours strong, well sewn, small batch unique product lines which are simply beautiful. Handmade in Missoula, Montana, all of Karuna clothing is sewn and dyed in the US
1: and all workers are paid good living wages.
0: www.karunaclothing.com, that's k-a-r-u-n-a clothing.com You are listening to The Trail Less Traveled, and it is sometime in August. I'm not really sure. I'm on the third expedition of the Grand Canyon this year. One more left, back-to-backs. We are at mile 213, so that's 213 miles downstream of Lee's Ferry in the Grand Canyon. And we are sitting on the patio at the birthing tube just upstream of Pumpkin Springs Camp. There are some enchilada pies baking in the Dutch oven, which gives us about 40 minutes to go on walkabout upstream and record an interview for you listeners here on location in the Grand Canyon. And I wish you could be here with us, sitting on a toasty, warm rock, looking at the swollen Colorado River. And uh, right now, Christian, my guest, and I are looking at the swirls and boils that come up right here at Pumpkin Springs. And if you've been here, you you know what we're talking about. Pretty interesting water dynamics. But we're going to switch focus now to coal mining in the west. My guest this evening has been rowing the chub down the Colorado River. So he is on day 12 of rowing a 22-foot boat down the river. Very admirable. This is his fourth time down here. His first time down the Grand Canyon was a solo mission in an inflatable kayak. Christian is a park ranger at Arches National Park, but he is also a historian and writer. And this year his book is going to be coming out, and that book is For This Union to Survive, Miners for Democracy in Utah and the West. Christian, please tell us about this book
1: can i answer that question by telling two stories 100 percent. okay so here's a story so i'm this river guide right out there in western colorado and we're doing like three-day canoe trips down the yampa river and it's this beautiful river in the middle of like the sagebrush hills And, you know, we get down there on like day three and I'm this like new guy and the river guide's like, hey, this is called Milk Creek, this tributary creek. And he talks about the Meeker massacre in the 1800s and the Ute Indians. And there was a battle of Milk Creek a couple miles up the drainage and it's like cowboy and Indian days, right? The whole first day of this trip, dominating the skyline is a giant smokestack of a coal fired power plant fueled by a strip mine in Craig, Colorado not a word said about it. And that's what is like going on with so much of the West. Like this river, 30 million people drink, but how many people come down here on the Colorado River or think about the river, think about the humpback chub who lives in the water and what its needs are, right? Mm -hmm. People think about the people who live upstream. So there are these systems that dominate our lives, but we don't often think about them and coal is one of them. Another story, a couple years later, I'm a ski resort worker, you know, doing this big, exciting outdoor adventure lifestyle. So now I'm working in some restaurant and ski resort, and I do great. There's this restaurant in the unnamed American ski resort owned by a famous Hollywood actor. And I actually lived for three months in my car in the parking garage like a mole person, which was kind of fun and adventurous, you know, like I hung out at the library a lot. I joined the gym took showers. I spent a lot of time like outside being social because I didn't have a home to come home to, you know, so I look at the bright side of it.
0: If you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Trail Less Traveled, recorded in the heart of Grand Canyon National Park at a place called Pumpkin Springs. We're sitting just upstream of camp. It's day 12 for us on this expedition. Christian, my guest, and I are sitting at the patio, at the birthing tube, looking down at the boiling, swirling water. The Colorado is swollen right now. It is monsoon season. It's been a good trip. And Christian is a rider and park ranger at Arches National Park. And he's been talking to us about his book, For this Union to Survive, Miners for Democracy in Utah and the West. On day one, when my boat was asking you some questions about your book and your project, you gave a little light to your interview process and your research process. So can you inspire myself as well as someone listening who is a writer and a researcher, but just kind of needs to take it from just this idea to actually a book that's going to come out one day, you know? Oh,
1: sure, yeah. Yeah, so like I was talking to these people on a river trip, right? And I was like, hey, how many of you guys like history and... Everybody looks at me without much enthusiasm, you know? And I was like, well, what do you guys study? And like, we study business, you know? And you think, oh, gee, I'm this labor historian guy. How am I going to relate to these business people, right? Well, it's like, okay, well, like, let's say you work in some industry, you know? You might wonder, like, well, why are things the way they are? Or you got some idea about how things could be different. You might wonder, like, whoever thought of it before? Or, like, what are the barriers to me getting a hearing on it? And any industry in America has got its own history, and in history, all it is is just like asking questions of why things came to be. So this research process just kind of like began as a question in my head. Kind of learning Western history, working in carbon in Emory Counties, Utah, is part of a very small fraction of the economy, which is tourism. It's mostly dominated by coal mining. You know, you're this river guide, and, and bless your soul, you might be horribly exploited and underpaid, and do your math one day and figure out, You know, without tips, you know, your on-call wage is like $2.11 an hour if you count when you're sleeping or about $4.20 when you're awake. And you kind of drive by the old United Mine Workers of America building and you kind of wonder, oh, like, what are those guys doing? Like, what happened to that thing? So this process, like, you know, it starts, like, you go read the books and you read the published books, you know, and then you realize there's none really published on the period of history you're interested in. So I was kind of like this library success story when I was like this homeless seasonal river guide and the library was warm. So I hung out in the library to do a lot of research while I was there. And I wind up writing this essay on mining that gets me into graduate school and like borrow the GRE book from the library and go to graduate school. So graduate school allowed me to be trained as a historian and it allowed me the opportunity to read every issue of two rural Utah county newspapers from 1933 to 1951 and 1964 to 1985. So it's like, here's this New Deal framework of labor relations, and later on, here's this Miners for Democracy movement, and here's kind of the disintegration of it. And then there's other archives. Like I went to Pennsylvania and read the United Miners of America archives, and you're reading like the correspondence of the people and the union organizers, and they're like, gee, you know, these are my problems and my questions. And I went to Detroit, and that's where they got the Miners for Democracy archives, and I read all about their movement. And I went down to Johnson City, Tennessee, actually spent two weeks there couch surfing, some wonderful people. That's where the archives of the Coal Employment Project are. And that is the organization of women coal miners in the 70s and 80s who are fighting as union activists and as individuals in non-union workplaces against sexual harassment and for a chance to have a shot at these high paying jobs that were some of the best jobs in their communities. So I go about and I get all these resources but totally hands down the richest part of this thing is just talking to people when have you ever sat down for like two hours with somebody who you kind of agree with on some things but disagree with on others like but to actually engage with people who are a bit different was awesome and i use those interviews in the research and in the book but for me just learning maybe intangibly those comments that people made and that experience was some of the most rewarding stuff i've ever done as a historian
0: you're on The Trail Less Traveled, featuring Christian Wright, who is a ranger at Arches National Park, as well as a writer, and his book, For This Union to Survive, Miners for Democracy in Utah and the West, is coming out this year. When we come back, we're going to talk to Christian about being a park ranger at Arches, and what he likes to ask the people he meets on the trail. But now it's time for a song. Christian, can you please share a song with us where that reminds you of the history of coal miners in Utah and the West?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. So to get a little bit retro feature on you, there's this famous song, like this old song about being kind of a coal miner in a company town and getting ripped off called 16 Tons. And my generation, uh, one of our favorite bands in the electronic underground of the late 90s was Leather Strip, Klaus Larsen from Denmark. And he did a cover of it, which is amazing. You know, it's electronic, it's fun, but it has that kind of grit and that sort of monotonous struggle in it, it's great, you should give a listen. Live from the Grand Canyon,
0: you are on the trail less traveled. Awesome, that's my paddle crew today. We just ran Flavel Rapid, it's 217 miles downstream of Lee's Ferry, and we're here with the Chub Tech, the Chub Technician of this Grand Canyon Expedition, and his name is Christian Wright. And where we left off last night with our interview, we were speaking to Christian about his recent book that is coming out this year, and I want to talk to you more about what you see now when you look around you, 360 degrees, and this boat that you're rowing.
1: Oh, this is great. So, like, I'm this baggage boatman here to row some baggage down the Grand Canyon. I show up, and all these guys are like, hey, look, there's this really big boat, and they kind of, like, figure out reasons why they don't have to row it. So, at first, I was like, well, what is this? Like, you guys want me to row a 22-foot-old boat down the Grand Canyon? That sounds more difficult and, you know, a little bit less fun. I wasn't quite sure I thought about it, but then, you know, a few days in the trip, I'm really feeling this thing. It's called the Chub. It's uh, 22 feet long, so it's the largest commercially road raft in the Grand Canyon. There's bigger ones that have motors on them, but this is like the human being doing it. And it's like a whole different sport. I'm looking further downstream at like lines for rapids and things and eddies, and you know, everything's different. So now I kind of embrace this. I was called the Chub Tech on this trip, and I feel like if I come back, which I probably will, It'd be really hard to uh, not want to do it again
0: christian we're here on your boat my paddle raft's attached to the boat it's uh, about 10 30 a.m and it's probably well in the upper 90s but i'm wondering when you look 360 degrees around you right now if you could paint the picture for the listeners
1: about what you see all right so this is a really cool spot so we're down here in like western grand canyon the things are like, warm and hot and there's this mottled red wall limestone that doesn't look as red because the rocks above it have eroded away in many places. So it's just browns and tans and pale dead dried out greens. And that's like the big cliffs in the distance. And then you're like in this gorge. So there's some kind of land between your gorge and like the bigger cliffs. And that's because there's a rock formation there that erodes easily and makes a platform. And today we're going to be getting into some granite and some Vishnu schist, some of the oldest rocks on the North American continent. We think they're maybe 1.75 billion years ago. The continent was growing, and ancient island lark arcs that looked like Japan were being thrown up against the continent and then kind of pushed underneath it and melted. So you got these black rocks. That I mean, imagine. Being surrounded by geology that's older than there was enough oxygen on the planet to breathe, you know? Like, it took a billion years for blue-green algae to produce all that oxygen through photosynthesis, we think. There's otherworldly plants, like the ocotillo, that hang down, like, if you've ever seen The Day of the Triffids, which is a science fiction film about plants from outer space that come and take over the earth they have these tentacle like appendages that go up like 10 15 feet in the sky and they're covered with spikes to conduct the heat away but they look extremely menacing so it's an inspiring place i mean you can take like one little tiny spot like that little drainage there that cliff and we could spend all day like exploring its nuances and discovering the spider and the scorpion and the plant and the cactus and everything and it's just so much surface area and it's so complex But all that's kind of always dwarfed by the, the scale and the scope of the distances and the views and the depth, whether it's geologic or perspective. So it's a pretty nice place to spend your time. You know, however you're doing it, if you're like on a private trip or getting paid to work here, being a baggage boatman or a customer, like any way you can spend time down here is usually extremely rewarding and I totally recommend it.
0: Christian what it's like to be down here can you give a little bit of a taste of what it would be like to do a two-week expedition in the Grand Canyon
1: oh yeah for sure so like for a lot of times in my life I do river guiding in the upper Colorado River Basin and the longest trips really do their commercial about five days and it's great fun and there's great river sections but it's kind of unfortunate because it's like the first day nobody really like knows what they're doing like you just met a bunch of people and second day, people kind of figure it out. The third day, they're like, okay, I'm kind of into it. And then the fifth day, like, people really start being good. Like, the fourth day, everyone's kind of relaxed. They're not scared of things as much, and they start to kind of unwind and become a bit more of a person than normally they do. Mm-hmm. You know, in a city, it's like you run around, and your stress level is always, like, at least 20 40%, just because of the sounds and the ads and the people who talk to you and demand your attention. So... You know, you come down here for that long, and then you got like another 10 days after, at least usually, so people just kind of get to maybe experience that part of being human and the things that matter and the natural senses of the world that normally they never do. And if you wanna do something really fun, right afterwards go to a place like Las Vegas and you know, do a 180 into like the total culture. That's a really cool trip, you know, that's a neat experience and perspective to have.
0: Beautiful. You are on the trail as traveled, and we are currently floating down the Colorado River in a 22-foot boat called the Chub, which is um, respectfully named after the humpback chub, which is a native species of fish in the pre dam swift current of Colorado River. And I'm interviewing Christian Wright, who is a historian, a writer, and a park ranger at Arches National Park. We are approaching a rapid. So uh, we're going to separate our boats, and when we come back, at that point, we'll have climbed up into a travertine cave that has a waterfall flowing through it. And for a lot of the folks it's going to be their first time seeing it, it's a profound spot, and we're going to wrap up the interview there, getting some adventure advice from Christian and talking to him about some of the questions he asks the people that he meets on the Trails of Arches. We're here floating downstream in Colorado River which slices through Grand Canyon National Park. And we've just gone through the last rapid, slowly but surely the Colorado is turning into Lake Mead. We got one more riffle and then Separation Canyon. And I'm here with Christian Wright. He's a historian and a writer and a national park ranger at Arches National Park. Christian, thank you so much for joining us on location to record the trail less traveled.
1: Oh, hey, you got it, man. Thanks for uh, for coming on the trip and expressing an interest and allowing me to share a little bit
0: wish you guys could be here my paddle raft is strapped to his 22-foot boat and i'm standing above christian holding up my cell phone to record this interview and before we end christian i just want to talk to you about being a uh ranger in arches national park and connecting with the visitors there and helping them have a somewhat intimate
1: experience with the national park. Oh, sure, yeah. So like, you know, just what's going on here is like, I'm the seasonal guy and uh, I know I like represent the official like policies or capacities of anything. And if you got real specific questions about park things there's some other folks you can talk to but I'm happy to generally share. I do interpretation. And that's what most people know as a park ranger. It's a guy who does like the evening program and the guided tour and the walk, wears a hat and everything. And a lot of people don't know what interpretation is. They're like, oh, do you like talk to other languages? And it's like, no, man, the park service doesn't do that as much. Although I do speak French and it helps. Interpretation's like the meaning of stuff. So like a film critic's gonna write, what is the meaning of a movie, you know? What's like the point of seeing it? A lawyer's gonna read a bunch of boring documents and go talk to someone and be like, all right, this is like what this means, this is what's going on. So our job in the grandiose language is like to uh, facilitate, Opportunities for people to form their own emotional and intellectual connections to the landscape. And that sounds like a lot of words, but it means that you know we're not trying to just be like this know-it-all sage on the stage. We're not here to like tell you the minutiae of geologic stories and ways they're inaccessible. But we use things like analogies and storytelling and interpretive devices to kind of explore stuff with people, like explore the meanings of places. And it's awesome, you know, just to hang out with folks and it's a little different from commercial guiding, we're not tipped, you know. It's not all about the money, it's about service. And it's super rewarding, and it's super cool.
0: What are some of the questions that you like to ask people to help them connect with Arches National Park?
1: For sure, so like, the first thing I try and do is, I ask people what they're trying to do. People have all kinds of different goals, so if somebody asks you a question and they're like, hey, I'm at this place, you know, how should I spend my time? What I might want to do in a national park might be different than they want to do. You know, maybe they just wanna drive somewhere and see a pretty couple arches, take some photos, and then go on their way. Or maybe they want like a long day long hike. Or maybe they wanna do photography at night. So people got these different needs sort of based on like their hobbies and their identity. Maybe they wanna hang out with their family and not dive heat exhaustion. And you know, the arches are nice, but that's just kind of ancillary. So that's a big one. I also like to ask on my programs I do, what people see and what it means to them. You can do this trick where you hold up a, a peace sign and you ask people, hey, how many fingers do you see? And if your hands go up, people say two. Well, wait a second, there's five fingers here, right? And two of them are more prominent than the others. So it's this little trick, but it's like there's a lot out there to actually see. There's a difference from looking and seeing. And uh, one of the things I love so much about the park is this is a place where you can get a million people to go look at the same thing. And they'll all come away with like a different idea of what it means, why it's important, what's special about it, what they did there, what their memories are. But all these people can agree, like, hey, this place is pretty special, you know? And that's a powerful thing. Like, what if we uh, treated each other like that, right? What if we treat like, you know, other, other people around the world like that? So it's a powerful thing to share, share like that. And uh, maybe the one other thing is, you know, I like to talk about park management and everything and how you could have a national park run. There's many different ways they're structured. If you notice what the infrastructure is like, what the roads are like. But instead of like trying to ask questions that, you know, people aren't really trained to experience, I just ask, I tell them about the past of the park a little bit and ask them like, hey, what do you think this place might be like in 50 years? And people can kind of use their own thoughts, you know, explain their concerns, explain their hopes and you know maybe what their kids might have one day.
0: Beautiful. We're on location recording the trail less traveled on the Colorado River in Grand Canyon National Park. So Christian, I just wanted to thank you for your time, your energy, and for joining me on the trail less traveled. Let's end this program with three bits of advice that you'd
1: like to share with the listener. Alright, so I got three bits of advice, right? So people ask me stuff all the time, right? They're like, hey, what's up, man? You're like this guy out here. I'm gonna ask you some advice. So I got three pieces of advice. My first piece of advice is to drink water. You know, believe it or not, like drinking a a soda in uh, your car before you do a three mile hike on rocks that are 140 degrees with like zero humidity isn't really a good idea, dude. Um, there's all these things in the world that are gonna mess with your body, like the stress from your job, or like our addiction to sugary, syrupy things that give us diabetes, or like the pesticides in our food, or you know, like you know, negative people who are around you and bring you down all the time. So every journey begins with just one step, and if there's one thing you can start doing today, you know, and maybe get on the ball and turn your life around, care about yourself and other people, it's probably start drinking some water. Second thing I want to give you advice on is. If you go to national parks, you should become a junior ranger. Junior rangers are like American heroes, you know. There's junior rangers of all ages. There's like little kid junior rangers. I'm a Kapuna ranger, which is like the young adult. Hawaii, at Puhu Kaloa Henao National Park in Hawaii. Adults come and be junior rangers, and you take it seriously, you know. It's like this challenge. You go to the park, and you get these instructions in a book. And instead of just like walking around, you know, kind of wondering what you saw, you... You gotta go discover stuff, you know? You gotta go hike the trail, you gotta go find like the animal tracks, you gotta go like draw a picture of your favorite place. And people who take it seriously get so much out of it. So go be a junior ranger. My third piece of advice is to be self-reflexive. One of my heroes is Buckaroo Bonsai, and he says that no matter where you go, there you are. And it's true, you know, if you go visit a place, you might change it. You might walk on fragile soils that tiny creatures live in. You might, like, take a bunch of pictures of the middle of nowhere and put it all over the internet and come back in 20 years and wonder why you're camping with, like, 50 other people and you have to pay for it now, you know? So think about what it means to travel. Think about philosophy. Go buy yourself a, a book of existentialist philosophy. and You won't understand most of it, but you'll understand some of it and it'll, like, blow your entire world when you're out there wandering around in the desert, go read a little history of the place you visit, you know? Think about what they used to be like, think about who used to live there, and maybe think about who might be there in the future. Maybe think about them a little bit.
0: Beautiful. We are floating down the Colorado River. We've just passed Separation Canyon, and uh, we're now in Lake Mead. This has been a... Two Week Expedition of the Grand Canyon And I have been interviewing Christian Wright Who is a writer A historian And a ranger at Arches National Park Christian for people who want to uh, find your book How can they best find you And contact you and get a copy of your book That is uh, coming out this year
1: Oh heck yeah so like I wrote this book called For This Union to Survive Miners for Democracy in Utah and the West And it's all about what does it mean to have no power and to fight for it And I encourage everyone to give it Give it a read you know learn some lessons, ask some questions with me. And U of U Press is doing it, they're amazing. So it'll be out with them this year. Look for it online. If you wanna follow what I'm doing, I've got this blog up on WordPress called Labor West. You can check that out, see a little bit of the research going on. And if you guys dig music, if you guys dig, like, the future in science fiction and synthwave music, listen to my radio show. I actually do a community radio show in Moab called The Hardwired Show, which is every Sunday night from 9 to 11 p.m. You can stream it globally at kzmu.org. We're also on the Book of Faces.
0: Groovy. Christian, what song would you like to end the show with?
1: All right, so, like... We're going to go wander around the desert. We're going to need some good music, right? We don't always have this guy named John who's playing the guitar all the time. So the best band, I think, to wander around the desert listening to is the Cocktooth Twins. Like, the cockto Twins is like urethral, ephemeral, beautiful music. The cockto Twins is like liquid honey, you know? It's like, it's like what love sounds like. It's amazing. It's like this female vocalist band with reverb and guitars and the most accessible album is called treasure listen to every song on it but the song that i want to share with you to kind of introduce you to what this can feel like when you're out there in the sunsets and the dirt roads and the people in the places you love is probably a little song called heaven or las vegas maybe something we're all looking for
0: you have been on the
1: trail, as traveled,
0: and we are recording right now on a 22 foot boat called the Chubb, which is attached to three other 18 foot oar boats and four paddle boats. We're floating down, and the music you hear in the background is being played by Mr. John Van Dyke. Namaste, Missoula. Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to collecting sound effects and interviews from those remote locations around the world. You can subscribe to the free podcast wherever you gather podcasts. And consider visiting traillastraveled.net to see pictures, archive previous episodes, and contact me if you'd like. I'd like to thank my guest for this week, Mr. Christian Wright. Christian is a park ranger at Arches National Park and also a historian and writer who recently released his book, For This Union to Survive Miners for Democracy in Utah and the West. My name is Mandela, your host of the Trail Less Travel, and my goal for the show is to take you, the listener, back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Therefore, every week I'll be interviewing an adventurer about what they do how they do it, and how you can start adventuring in a similar fashion. The Trail Less Traveled is recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana, or on location around the world, in order for me to find these adventurers and connect with them in their natural habitat. Tonight's episode was recorded while floating down the Colorado River and Grand Canyon National Park. It's The Trail Less Traveled, the community source for adventure information and inspiration every Sunday night at 6. My adventure tip this week is to wake up early and go to bed early when traveling. Sure, you might like to spend an odd night out and about exploring after dark, but for the most part, nighttime is more dangerous than during the day as visibility is more difficult. Well, that's it for this week, my friends in Missoula and around the world, but until next week's adventure, I request that you do something for Mother Earth. And you can also get outside and shred the gnar, because as you know, the gnar does not shred itself.